thankful we are to have you here. And on your prayer list this week, as you're praying for the different things we've talked about this morning and other things that you, uh, you're continually calling out to, to the Lord on, would you add the families uh, of our missions team, uh, many of them are, are at home with the kids and all the responsibilities on them, the, the spouse that, that stayed behind and, and is trying to uh, make it through this week without their, their partner being there, helping them with all of those things they, they take care of. So uh, remember them as well because they are missing them uh, tremendously. I know that. We've already heard from some. Uh, I don't even know how Don's going to make it uh, this week without Linda. You know, he, he has a real tough time anyway. So, so please be in prayer for him. I'm just kidding. Don, you're, you're doing fine, man. We're proud of you. Uh, great things happening, and we are so excited to have all of you uh, with us again today. And, and if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been journeying through uh, the book of Jonah. How many of you remember hearing that? If we get the house lights up just a little bit for people to take notes, maybe you grew up in church and, and you were well uh, uh, versed on the story of Jonah and the... And the whale, or the great fish, as as the Bible uh, aptly calls it, because we don't know for sure what it was. We just know it's a big old fish that could hold somebody in it, in its stomach, and that's pretty pretty amazing. So you probably learned a lot of different things about it. And and as we tend to do, we focus on the big miracle, right? We focus on the aspect of wow, there was a guy living inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. That is just mind boggling. And, 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 you know, that, that's a good thing to dwell on, but we don't want to miss the, the big lesson. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning as we finish this study. The, the big lesson, the really big thing that we need to get out of this four-chapter book, this very brief book in, in, in God's Word. But we don't want to miss the big lesson. I, I love a good plot twist. How about you? And if you like watching a movie that you, you're trying to figure it out through the course of the movie and you, you think you've got it, man, you think this guy, you know he's the one that did it. He, he, he committed the, the crime, he murdered the person, he did whatever. And then you get to the end of it and they just blow you away by bringing something else out of left field that you never thought was possible. You're like, man, they got me. That, that's good. You did good. I, I got to say that probably the two movies that, that best did that to me, were M. Night Shyamalan movie. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but how many of you remember the movie The Sixth Sense? Bruce Willis. I mean, I'm watching that, and I'm watching it by myself because my family was out of town, and it's kind of creepy anyway, and I don't normally watch, but they, somebody told me, it's a good mystery, you'll like it. They didn't tell me about the creepy part of it. And so I'm watching it, all the lights out in the house, I'm laid out on the couch, and, and you know, all of a sudden, this kid starts seeing dead people. I'm like, woohoo! I'm turning lamps on, I'm going through the house looking to make sure nobody's like, man, this is creepy. And then you get to the end of it, you're like, how is this, how, what's going on? And Bruce Willis is dead. Sorry, I, a spoiler alert. I, he's dead the whole time. I'm like, man, I never saw that coming. Well, Jonah's story is, is very similar, man. It's a shocking twist at the end. And just a quick recap. In the first week, we talked about God's call to Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, which one of the most wicked cities on the face of the planet at that point in time. And Jonah did not want to go. So he took off the opposite direction. He hopped on a ship going to Tarshish. And, and then a funny thing happened while on the ship. Last week we talked about, I was in Kings Mountain. Pastor Scott was here. A terrible storm came up and Jonah realized that the storm was his fault. So he asked the men on the boat to throw him overboard so that they could be saved. And when they finally agreed to it, the most popular part of the story takes place in that a great fish swallows Jonah whole and miraculously he survives for three days, three nights in the belly of that fish. 
what many have viewed as the punishment. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. I, I shared this with the Kings Mountain group last week. What many viewed as the punishment was actually a vessel of God's grace saving Jonah from the, the, the stormy waters. It, you ever thought of it in that way? And I'm not sure if Pastor Scott mentioned that last week or not, but, but a vessel of God's grace. And eventually, after three days and three nights, the great fish spit Jonah up on the shore. And that brings us to number one on your outlines today. And that is this. After a miraculous second chance, Jonah's shocking response in all of chapter three of Jonah and, and chapter four, verse one, chapter three of Jonah's book, part of that second chance was that God spoke to Jonah a second time and he told him this, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. He said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Then when he proclaimed to them God's word that in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown and destroyed. There was a great repentance by the entire city and God had mercy upon them and they turned from their evil ways and the Lord spared them from destruction. You you got that right right now? What's going on? After the second time God asked Jonah to go, he finally, after going through the belly of the fish and everything, he finally realizes I better go. It could get worse. And so he goes and he preaches what God told him to proclaim to that wicked city. And guess what? Boom. They all repent. Now, I just got to be honest with you. That's every preacher's dream, right? I mean, every day we think about, Lord, show up, change people's hearts and lives. Whenever we speak your word, whenever we proclaim, whenever we stand up and get to to preach your word and what a great privilege it is. God, I want to see people's lives transformed by you. Not that I would get the glory. But man, that's what, we, that's what we live for. That's what we pray for. That's what we, we dream about is seeing people's lives change. And this is what happened with Jonah. After he got up and the second chance he had went and did what God called him to do. He actually obeyed. How, how revolutionary is that? It's not, a, not an easy thing to do, but Jonah obeyed against his desires because we know he ran from it the first time. And God shows up and man, the whole city repented. And we're talking thousands and thousands, over almost 200,000 people, I think the, the, the numbers are that, that historians tell us were in that great city at that time. And they all repented. They all came to the Lord. They all said, Father, forgive us. Yes, we, we, we turn our, our, away from our sins and we turn to you. So you would think that this preacher, this prophet, this, this man of God, Jonah, would be thrilled about that, Right? I mean, every other preacher in history would be rejoicing and celebrating. And yes, look at God. Look what God showed up and done here. I mean, look at this revival that's happening in this city. Look at the transformation, the, the wicked ways and the evil is, is, is behind them. And they are running towards God. And this place is transformed by him. I mean, I would, I think. It's easy to say, Right. But a funny thing happens here. The Bible tells us that Jonah grew angry. (laughs) What? And and get this, he grew angry at God. And, And it's not because of some mistaken perception about God, but it's because of a true perception of God. 
here's what happens. Bitterly, he tells God, he knew that God would spare, might spare the city as it's worded in verse three. For I knew that you are gracious. You're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You're thinking, where did Jonah get this? Well, he got it out of Exodus 34 where Moses asked God to show him his glory and God answers by saying that he would pass by Moses and allow him to see his goodness and hear his precious name proclaimed. Then he put Moses in the crevice of a rock as he passed by and as he passed by, Moses heard these words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when Jonah says he just knew God would have mercy, on Nineveh because he is a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here's what he's doing. He's throwing God's own description of himself back at God to condemn him. Hello. I mean, you're really going to do that to God? That, that, that takes a lot of guts in the, in the, in the first place. God, I knew you were going to do this because that's who you are. That's who you said you were. You, you told Moses that's who you are. That's your nature. That's your character. And grab that this morning, church. God's nature and character is to be gracious and merciful and loving and slow to anger. He wouldn't that any would perish, but that all would come to the salvation knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's who God is. And Jonah is ticked off big time about that. Now, listen. When God chooses to display his gracious character towards unsavory, unchosen pagans like the Ninevites, well, these qualities in Jonah's eyes are definitely not good. So he's not only angry with God, he doesn't like who God is. That's a a bad place to be, right? (laughs) That is not the place we want to be. It's a hopeless place for a prophet to be, and and mindful of that, he goes on to pray these words. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Come on, Jonah. Get with the program. Listen, look at me right now, church. God is about life. God hates death. God destroyed death and all of its effects there at Calvary through Christ Jesus on the cross. He is, he is opposed to death. So when this man of God, Jonah, prays to die, you've got to get what it does to God's heart. It rips his heart in two. Anytime one of us wants to throw in a towel and say, you know what? I don't want to choose to live. I want to die. Just take me out of here. It's got to break the heart of the father. And man, that's what's going on right here, church. Jonah is, is, is all messed up in his head, and it's causing him to lose heart to the extent that he's ready to die. He's angry with God. He's disappointed with God's character and would rather die than see the results of God's compassion, loving judgment, hating mercy. Jonah reminds us a lot. Get this. How many of you remember the story? In the New Testament, Jesus told of of an older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He was fine with his younger son being estranged from the father. He was fine with him being distant, living wildly and ungodly. He was fine with him starving and maybe even being murdered by the wicked company he was keeping. But the older brother wasn't fine with him coming to his senses and repenting and, and, and the father inviting him back into the fold with love and compassion. You ever, you ever notice that in that story? That's when he got really upset was when the younger brother came home and God welcomed him with open arms. And and we're seeing Jonah display that same 
kind of mindset. And I'll tell you what it is. Look at me right now. It is a religious mindset that loves judgment and hates mercy. Write that down. A religious mindset loves justice and hates mercy. There's a kind of religion that kills, that destroys, that just erodes at the things of God. Only those whose hearts are filled with self-righteousness can hold that mindset because they, they don't think they need mercy, at least not, not much. Not an extravagant amount of mercy. Jonah forgot the mercy he needed and received in the storm in the belly of the whale. The Pharisees of the New Testament didn't think they needed much mercy either because they thought they were righteous. They had this stuff. They were it. They were, they were on, the, on the one, man. They had it. But the reality was their hearts were far from God and Jesus called them on that multiple times and that's why they hated him. They hated seeing Jesus extend mercy to prostitutes and tax collectors and other assorted sinners. They looked down their noses at church. If we get to the place, we look down our noses at the people that need Jesus the most, then we're in a worse place than they are. Come on, right? That is not who God has called us and created us to be. And that's exactly where Jonah found himself in this moment. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's poison. We often think of mercy as a beautiful thing, and I'm telling you, it is. But mercy is most beautiful to those who know they need mercy. To those who don't think they need mercy, it can be an undesirable thing. And I'm telling you what, folks, I need mercy in my life. I don't know about you, but I need it every single day. Why? Because I fail every single day in some small way and sometimes some bigger ways. I fail and I need the mercy of God to come and pour over my life and and cleanse me and renew me. And, And I thank God for that mercy that comes through relationship with Christ Jesus, his son. The Pharisees didn't realize how desperately they needed mercy, so they didn't find mercy beautiful when it was extended to others. All they saw was sinners not getting the judgment they deserved. In other words, there's this mentality that you want to sit back and say, zap them, God. Take them out of here, God. Look how evil they are. Look how bad they are. And that's where Jonah's at right now. It's the same pattern that he is exhibiting in his life. Like the politician who commissioned an artist to paint a portrait of himself. I've never liked that. I never like going into a place and seeing a a big portrait of of a person. I mean, it's just me, maybe. I don't know. But that just, to me, is a little egotistical. But but anyway, he he wanted this nice nice portrait painted of himself and and all his pomp and circumstances. And when it was finally finished and he got to see the painting, he got very, very angry. And he told the artist, this portrait doesn't do my face justice. Well, aren't we a little smug? To which the artist calmly replied, sir, with a face like yours, you don't need justice. You, you need mercy. <laughs> Whoo! That might knock you down a few pegs, right? What Jonah didn't realize, what the Pharisees didn't realize, what many Christians sometimes unfortunately don't realize today is that with hearts like ours, we don't need justice. We desperately need an ocean of mercy an ocean of God's mercy. When we realize how badly we need mercy ourselves, then mercy towards others becomes a beautiful thing too. Look at me right now. We can't give what we don't have. 
We can't give what we don't know. And man, I've known God's mercy my entire life. And I've known the value. Hear me now. The value of it. So therefore, I love to extend mercy. I love to pray for mercy. I love to see God's mercy show up in people's lives who have failed miserably, who have sinned miserably, who have, who have been in the gutter, who have, who have done things that are unspeakable. I love to see the mercy of God just flood in to their lives and change them from the inside out. Why? Because I have been there myself and I know what it's like to get that mercy. And I want to see everybody else in this world get that mercy in their lives too. And that's the heart of God, and that's the heart it should beat in every Christ follower that's on this planet. And if we get back to that point of sitting back with our arms folded, looking down in judgment on people, then God help us change our hearts because we are wrong, period. There's no other way to put it. We're wrong, and that's where Jonah's at. The second thing we see is God's shocking response. God answers Jonah with a simple but intriguing question. And I want this question to, to hit us in our hearts right now and, and ask, be asked of us. Do, he said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> in other words, God's saying, Jonah, are you right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry like you are right now? One commentator points out that God isn't rebuking Jonah. He wasn't asking what right Jonah had as a mere man to criticize God. No, he was asking Jonah to reexamine his assessment of the situation. What he's asking is this. Are you sure that your evaluation of what's happened here is a correct one? It's a pretty interesting way to think about it. Now let me pause here for just a moment to point out that God's question to Jonah isn't a bad question for us to ask ourselves periodically when we're struggling with anger. When you're upset over something, ask yourself the question, do I do well to be angry at this? Is it right for me to be upset with this situation? Am I sure my assessment of the situation is correct and and how best to respond is a correct one? Other times that's a good question as well. Do, Do I do well to be proud? Should I, should I have pride in my life about this? Do I do well to feel sorry for myself right now, throwing this big pity party? Am I, am I right to be doing this? Should I, should I be wallowing in this, this, this pity? Do I well, do well to be critical of others? Huh. Hello, got real quiet in here. What's up, guys? Come on, wake up. Roll with me here. Am I, am I right to be critical here? Am I right to pick people apart with my words? Do I do well to crave acceptance from others? What about this one? Do I do well to be indifferent to those around me? Should I not care about people dying without Christ around me? Should I I not care about the spiritual condition of people and just live indifferent towards what's going on? Do I do well to be lukewarm towards God and not living that fired up life that's on fire, set set on fire by the Holy Spirit and, and, and just passionate about Christ and his kingdom? Some good questions uh, to ask regularly. There's a biblical saying that everyone did right or what was right in their own eyes. Their, com- their compass was an internal one and they, they trusted it to point them to what was right. But how many of us know that our internal compass, if it's not controlled by God, can lead us in the wrong direction very easily and, and always does? The fact is our compasses can be all messed up We really don't know what we don't know. But when we seek God's perspective through his word, we find truth and wisdom to be a light unto our path. 
How many of you work on a computer or play on a computer or do something on a computer uh, pretty much so every day of your life? Okay, that's about 99.9% of this group and I'm sure almost all of you out there listening and watching now. You ever been like me and not always updated when it says it's time to update? I mean, you're in the middle of a project. You got time crunch here. You're trying to get this thing done and you don't have 30 minutes for it to update and, 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 and add this new, new thing and, uh, you know, all this stuff it, it says you need to do. And so you kind of neglect it and just push wait until later and, and you keep, keep working. And then, you know, you, you find yourself kind of doing that over and over and over again to the point that, that, you know, the next time you turn on your computer and you want to zip through that project, it does what? <laughs> just like so sluggish man you can't even like come on come on i've got to get i've got 20 minutes to get this done i've got to print this out for my kid's school i've got to get this project done for work and you come on come on you're pushing buttons you're praying you're 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 slamming it on the desk a little bit you're laying hands on it and you're doing you whatever you can think of ain't happening captain it's just whoo we are the greatest computers ever designed. Tell your neighbor, man, you're a good-looking computer. And now everybody try to turn to them and say, you're amazing, incredible. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by the, the, the greatest creator there is, God. So guess what? When we don't update... Hear me now, and when we don't get ourselves in the Word of God on a regular basis, when we don't fall on our knees and pray and meet with God and speak and converse and listen and hear from Him and, and, and commune with Him as He designed us to do on a regular basis, when we're not worshiping separately and corporately on a regular basis, just lifting up our hands and our hearts and singing out with all that we have and loving on Jesus and not caring who's around and, and what else is going on, but man, we just want to press in and we just want to be with him. When we're not doing those things on a regular, when we're not updating this computer on a regular basis with our heavenly father, then guess what? Our compass starts to take over. Our stuff starts to get in the way. And when a situation happens and we react, we don't react as the Father would react. We don't react as Jesus living in us would react. We react from our own stuff. And our own stuff, as we've talked about numerous times over these 10 years at Connections, our own stuff just don't get it. Our own stuff gets us in trouble. Our own stuff messes us up. Our own stuff hurts other people. So we've got to be updated on a regular basis. And I'm telling you this. Don't let your internal computer get corrupted with the viruses of this world, but instead regularly meet with God, regularly get in his word, regularly know him in an intimate way, regularly commune with him. And when we do, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us that's dealing with all the situations we, we, we come across every day, Christ in us that's touching others around us and not just us, which is never a good thing. So I think this is kind of what happened with Jonah. His heart had drifted from God. He had not updated regularly. He had not met with God. Why? Because he doesn't get it. 
That's, that's how I know. You, I mean, you can assess certain things, right? You've got a runny nose, man. Your, your head's all stopped up. You, you're coughing. You're sneezing. Your eyes are all watery and itchy. Then guess what? You can pretty much so make an assessment. You either got a cold or you've got some allergy stuff going on, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And when you hear and see of someone's life that is going through a situation where, number one, they're ticked off at God. And they're ticked off at God for all the wrong reasons. And all of a sudden, they're taking it to the next level, down as low as you can get, and saying, just go ahead and take me out of here. I want to die. Then you know without a shadow of a doubt that that is a man who's in trouble and is missing it completely. So, God asked Jonah a good question. And as we will see, Jonah doesn't answer God at this time, but God doesn't stop pursuing Jonah. So we can come to the shocking ending of this shocking book and find a very surprising lesson which is deliberately directed not at Jonah only, but to every one of us. And that leads us to number three, the sad, shocking ending where Jonah doesn't answer God's question, but instead he leaves the city. He's like, I'm just going to run away. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to camp out on the hillside, basically, just paraphrasing again. And he's hoping against hope that God's going to change his mind and, and take the Ninevites out and, and cast that judgment on them and, and destroy them. But, but the shelter that Jonah made was a makeshift shelter to kind of, you know, cover him from the heat and all that. And it wasn't providing much relief from the hot sun. So verse six tells us that God appointed a plant to grow fast enough and large enough to cast a, a very welcome shade over Jonah as he waits to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. And the plant saves Jonah from his discomfort. Man, isn't that great of God? I mean, awesome. He just zip. <laughs> I, I kind of imagine that sound effect going on as a zip. There's a plant. Big leaf plant that just covers him and, and brings that shade and, and that cooling effect to him. And, and the word for discomfort here makes a connection between Jonah and Nineveh because it's the same word that is translated uh, evil to describe Nineveh. And it's the same word that is translated disaster in chapter 3. And when it says that God relented of the disaster of the evil that he was going to bring on, on Nineveh. So this God-appointed plant springs up, saves Jonah from the heat of a brutal sun, beating down on him, and in no time, Jonah grew to love that plant. How many of you have a nice shade tree in your yard that you look forward to in those hot summer days that are behind us, and now we're getting ready for a cold, long winter? How many of you would support me if I decided I needed to go down to Florida for the winter and, and, and... Stay down there in, in the warmer climate because I don't like cold. Well, we'll talk about that later. My bad. I'm getting distracted here. But, but you've got that shade tree in your yard, and, and you love that thing. You, you love going out there on those hot summer days and spending some time outside, but, but not in the direct sunlight where it's like 110 degrees here and, and, and you know, 300,000 uh, you know, percent uh, humidity uh, around here. And so you get under that shade tree, man, you just love it. And then all of a sudden, this storm comes along. And as we have uh, all kind of tropical storms and, and remnants of hurricanes and everything else come through here in North Carolina, and bam, tree's gone. <laughs> My tree's gone. And you're sad. Why? Because you love that tree. It provided nice shade. That's kind of where Jonah's at. I mean, he's up here wallowing in his pity. He's still hoping against hope that God's going to destroy Nineveh. And he's, and he's out in the brutal heat 
of this Middle Eastern climate, and then the sun's bearing down on him. He tried to make a shelter, but it wasn't working out too good. So God said, boop. How many of you remember that sound effect? Boop. There's your plant. There's you some shade. And so he grew to love that plant. How, how interesting that is. The Bible says he was exceedingly glad about the plant. Gadol glad, which is a, a, a term for that exceeding word there. To have that plant over him. But the next morning, <laughs> here's a funny twist. God appoints a worm. Worms are only good for fishing in my book. But God appoints some kind of worm to come along and eat the plant and kill it just as quickly as it sprang up. So guess what? Jonah's very sad. I mean, he's an emotional role. He's up and down. He's all over the map here. I want to die. Hey, I got a shade tree. Things are looking up. Hey, the shade tree's been eaten by a worm. It's gone, man. I'm ticked off again. But, but notice this, God's not done. He appoints a scorching hot wind to blow across the land and turns up the thermostat on the sun so that it's beating down on Jonah relentlessly and Jonah gets very depressed, discouraged, and, and again, he asks God to take his life. You know some people like that? Super high highs and whoo, when they bottom out. It's, it's not a laughing matter. It, it is very real, and it's very, very, very dangerous. And it, it seems to be that's the roller coaster that Jonah is on right now. Depressed, discouraged, ask him again, take me out of here. And notice how central God's supernatural hand is in, in this book. I mean, if, if, let's recap it real quick, and I'm, I'm moving towards a conclusion. You know, chapter one, God spoke to Jonah and said, go, and, and, and he wouldn't, and he hurled a great storm at the boat, and, and Jonah tried to escape, uh, you know, and, it, and then he appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah up and, and, and not, not drown, and, and, and God spoke to the fish and said, okay, it's time to, to vomit, vomit him out and get him back, back to work, and, and again, he spoke to Jonah to bring a prophetic message to Nineveh, and he appointed the plant to grow up amazingly quick, and then he appointed a worm to kill the plant and, and caused a brutal hot wind and, and, and sun to intensify and, and all that stuff. I mean, the divinity of God is all throughout this book. The, the miraculous power of who he is and what he can do. A lot of times cynics will scoff at the book of Jonah. Even Christian scholars wrestle with the unbelievable events recorded in this book. But the point of the book isn't to say this stuff happens all the time. That's not it at all. It's meant to be unbelievably miraculous because God is revealing something unbelievably massive about himself. Do you get that? He's saying, I want you to get a taste of who I am. As if creation itself is not enough. How many of you are stargazers out there? You like getting your telescope out and looking into the universe and seeing the miraculous stars and planets and, and everything else that our solar system holds and, and just, you're in all of that. I am. I, I like riding at night and seeing a, a big moon come up over the horizon. That alone just does something to me of who God is. I like looking at the trees when the leaves start to turn and they've been on delay this year because summer just wouldn't let go and I was kind of glad of that. I was actually praying it would just stay with us all year but, but it finally had to leave and fall is here and, and winter's on the way and, and the leaves are right now starting to peak with the reds and golds and the, the beautiful display of God's creation. But God says if, if that's not enough then I'm going to do miracles like this so that you'll know without a shadow of a doubt that I am God 
And nothing is impossible or too difficult for me. And I hold the worlds in my hand. So I grab a hold of the miraculous. But the massive thing that God reveals about himself, the payload for that revelation, so to speak, is in these final verses where God confronts Jonah and us with one final question. And if your neighbor's been nodding off there, punch them a little bit. Make sure they're awake because you do not want to miss this. If you need to call up somebody and say, you better jump on Facebook right now. You do not want to miss this. It's number four in your outline there, the big question. Once again, God asked him the question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? What? Yes, God asked him about the plant. And Jonah says, yeah, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. I love that plant. Me and the plant got really close in just a day. And you took it. I know it was you. You're just there doing stuff. You put me in a fish and you gave me a plant. You took it away. You, 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 you poured grace and mercy all over this city that didn't deserve it. Man, Jonah's steaming pretty good right here, ain't he? Any of you had a tantrum like that this week? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to get you in trouble. I guess I'm going to fess up. God presses on Jonah's out-of-proportion compassion for a plant that he had nothing to do with. Listen, think about it. Jonah didn't plant it. He didn't tend to it. He just enjoyed it. Jonah's like a spoiled kid wrapped up entirely in what he wants and ready to die when he doesn't get what he wants. How many of you remember this crazy statement that Jesus made when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling about going to the cross? Because you know that's not going to be an enjoyable experience. We all know looking backwards at what happened when he was crucified. And while he was in that garden wrestling with that, he come up with this crazy statement to God the Father that went something like this, not my will, but yours be done. Jonah's nowhere near that, that place right now. Instead, he's upset over a plant that he fell in love with, but had nothing to do with making happen. And here's the tragedy of it. He, he feels compassion for the plant because it provided him with comfort. And yet he felt no compassion for Nineveh because they offend his nationalistic sensibilities of what's right and wrong. They weren't his people. That's what it boiled down to. They weren't Israelites like he was. They weren't a part of his culture. Hey, folks, guess what? God don't care about that. <laughs> he doesn't care about skin. He doesn't care about nationality. He loves us all the same. We are all precious in his sight. We all matter deeply to him. And that's the heartbreak of this entire story of Jonah. It's not about a big fish. It's not about a plant. It's not about those things along the way that help make the story. But it's about Jonah completely missing God's heart. Missed it. Missed it completely. Totally. Whoop. Over his head. Went by him and never even noticed it. God cares about 
people. His most prized creation. He goes on to to end this book by asking Jonah that again. Do you not care, basically? You don't care about a city that's full of people who desperately need me. They need my forgiveness. They need my grace. They need my salvation. Do you not care about that, Jonah? And I've heard that question echo in my heart for the last three weeks. Do we not care about the people that are outside of this building that may not be like us, but that's okay? We're not like each other completely. I'm different from you, you're different from me, we're all kind of unique, we're all different, we're all the same in some ways, and God said, get past all that junk, and see my heart, know my heart, let me put my heart in your chest, let your heart beat as my heart beats for those who are lost and are dying. Jonah, these people are dying, and you're over here pouting about a plant that you had nothing to do with whatsoever funny thing about this last question he said not only is this full of thousands and thousands of people but it's also full of livestock there's also thousands of cows there now now some of us would read that and think well that's just kind of a throwaway line isn't that kids interesting I don't know why it's there but here's for all you animal lovers they are created by God they don't have a soul as we do, but he loves them. And he was having, was even having compassion on, on the animals that were there and said, I don't want to destroy everything there. So those of you that are hoping against hope or whatever else that your dog's going to be in heaven with you, I don't really know what that's going to look like, but there may be some hope there. I, I don't know. But I do know this. God loves people dearly. So much so that his whole plan was wrapped around saving us, living in relationship with us. And every one of us understanding who he is and what his heart is for people. As you close your eyes and we get ready to pray in just a moment. It's the same heart that Jesus displayed when he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the heart that God wants to place inside of every one of us. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, and not just to Israel, but to pagan, wicked cities. Not just to Christians, but to hardened non-Christians. We don't know what happens with Jonah because this book ends with that question just hanging out there. Just dangling. What's the rest of the story? Does Jonah eventually get it? Does he come to his senses? Does he realize the great heart of love that God possesses? We don't know. But here's what we do know, church. Right here, The last Sunday in October 2018, we at Connections Church and those of you that are watching right now, we have the opportunity to write our story. We can say, you know what, God, we get it. It's not flying past us. We're not missing it, Lord. We are grabbing a hold of what you're telling us right now, that your heart of compassion, mercy, and love for every single person 
person that's breathing on this planet is very real and very transforming. And God, we need your heart beating in ours. We need to see people as you see people. We need to love people as you love people. And right now, Father, we commit our lives to do just that. With your eyes closed around this room and those of you that are watching right now, if you're saying in your heart right now, first and foremost, I need God's mercy, compassion, forgiveness, salvation in my life. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's where I'm at right now. I need God to come and and have mercy on me. I've been struggling in a terrible way with something, with a sin and, and something that's just gripped my life. And, and I want to be free from that. Would you just pray for me that, that I would just open my heart and life and receive Christ as Savior and Lord of my life right now? Can I see your hands across this room if, if you would say pray for me in that way? Yes, yes, sir. Thank you very much. Anybody else, just raise your hand and say, that's me today. I surrender to Christ. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else that would join, join these folks and say, don't forget me in this prayer. Anyone else? Thank you. Who in this room is saying, you know what? I, I, I uh, heartbreakingly identified too much with Jonah. I've kind of been locked in my own narrow vision tunnel of, of, of seeing people as I want to see them and situations that I, as I want to see them and, and casting judgment and being critical and being angry at God for this and that or whatever else. And, and God, help me, forgive me, change me. How many of you would say, Pastor, pray for me right now. I need to see people with that heart of love and compassion and graciousness and mercy. Thank you that, that God... That God Sees people, thank you, thank you. How many others? Just raise your hand. That's me today, Pastor. Don't forget me. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Who else? Just raise your hand up. That's me. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I'll ask right now. If you raise your hand for any of these things, would you just come and stand right here on this, this blue rug with me? I want to pray for you right now as we prepare to worship and end our time together. I want you to come and make your way down and I want some other folks to come and stand with them. Come on, if you raised a hand for anything, come now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, God's doing something powerful and life-changing right now. Thank you, thank you. Who else is gonna come and join these, those of you that raised your hands? I need some people to come and pray with him. Todd, would you come and help us this morning and and just pray and agree and, and cover these folks together this morning in prayer and Thank you. Some others to come and, and join join us as we pray down here with these. Come, some ladies to come and, and surround and partner with and cover these folks this morning. Some men to come. Thank you, Lord. I want everybody to stand to your feet across the room. If you're not down at front, would you just stand up where you're at? And I want you to do this with me right now. I want you to just raise your hands in the air. You say, "Well, Pastor, I'm Baptist or I'm I'm you know Lutheran. I, I don't care what you are." If you love Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hands in the air as an act of surrender right now? We are Christ followers. We don't have a label other than that. We love Jesus Christ. And God, we honor you and we surrender to you. And we ask as a congregation right now, all across this room and outside of it, who may be watching, listening right now, it might be today, it might be later on in the week, it might be a year from now. God, put your heart of compassion and love and and care for those people around us, everybody around us. Put your heart in us, God. Take away our stony religious 
prideful, judgmental heart, God, and remove that far from us and get rid of it from now on that is no longer welcome in us. And Lord, put your heart of love and salvation, mercy and grace, let it beat in us every single day as you desire, God. We surrender to you fully and completely, God. And for those that made the step, that raised the hand, that came forward and said, I need Jesus to come and do that work of transformation in me, God, right now, let it be done by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. We call it done from this moment forward that no longer will we think the same, act the same, look the same at at situations and people, God. But Lord, we will look at everything. We will feel everything. We will process everything through your Holy Spirit, God. Help us today. We desperately need you. And Lord, for those that said, I need Jesus to come in and be Lord and Savior of my life right now, as they surrender to you, your forgiveness is pouring over them in wave after wave of mercy and grace. You, as your word says, are washing them whiter than the driven snow. God, you're removing their sins and casting them as far as the east is to the west. There is no way to measure that. And you're bringing Jesus Christ our Savior, our triumphant King, into their hearts and lives as they pledge themselves to be a disciple of Christ today, to follow you, to pick up their cross and follow you. You're doing that right now in every one of those hearts and lives that are calling upon you for salvation. Lord, we honor you. We bless you. We pray that this week would give opportunity after opportunity where we can love people. We can see them just as you see them. We can go out of our way to deliver the words you put on our heart for them, to encourage them, to bless them, God, to be a link, to draw them to you even closer. Help us see those opportunities. Don't let them pass by us, God, and us miss them. We do not want to miss you and your heart and your purposes. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, Amen and amen. Would you worship with us right now as we sing out this last anthem to the Lord together. Worship him with everything you've got. Let's celebrate what God has done in this place today and he's doing in all of our lives.